0: Yes, I think it. I think that's what you said is so important. I think we, it's so important to allow ourselves to feel every emotion, and it's okay whether that is extreme sadness or extreme joy. It's we we can't bottle it all up inside because grief takes a toll on your body. I mean, it, it really does your oh yeah your entire you know your brain, your heart, your your physical activity. It just takes a toll on your body, and I think the you know one of the most important things is to let it out however that looks for you, let, yeah. your, let yourself grieve. And, and I've, I've learned now after going through what we've been through that I, I can just be myself and let myself fall apart and be okay and know that I'm gonna be okay. I am, I am made to do hard things and I, as much as it hurts and as much as I might grieve hard one day, I'll wake up the next day and I'll get out of bed and I'll, I'll fight and I'll, I'll rise.
1: Welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I'm your host, Lisa Offer, and I'm on a mission to change the narratives of grief, one conversation at a time. I am so honored to be bringing you the conversation Amber Smith and I shared recently. Amber and her husband, country music singer Granger Smith, lost their three-year-old son, River, in an accidental drowning in their backyard pool in the summer of 2019. In today's episode, she opens up about how they shared the news with her other two children, Lincoln and London, about organ donation, about what it's like to be grieving in the public eye, and about the work she is doing carrying River's memory forward through the River Kelly Fund. Thank you so much for joining me today on Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I so appreciate you being here with us today. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much. One of the things that our listeners will know by now is that I'm very passionate about helping us open up conversations, real, authentic conversations about grief, and be because we don't talk about grief much in this country, in our culture, here in the U.S. anyways, I'm always asking each guest to reflect, what were your earliest memories of grief, and how were the adults in your life sort of modeling it, sort of implicitly or explicitly? And what do you think that taught you about what grief looks like when you face this grief experience in this most recent season of your life? What, how would you start to unpack that question?
0: I'm trying to think of my earliest memory of of grief, and I guess I would say I was probably four is when my parents divorced, and that's kind of the first time that i I guess would have experienced any sort of grief was when they were splitting up and and kind of the the fighting that's kind of one of my earliest memories is yeah. a little bit of fighting um, here and there between them, but my mom was never my family comes from London, and her mom is uh, she was English and so Their kind of way to go about grief is just to, she always used to say, pack it up, like just (laughs) put it away, pack it up. And she, I don't, I don't necessarily know that my mom really was allowed to, to cry. And so I never really saw my mom cry or, you know, or my dad. Um, So those are kind of my earliest memories is, is you, you put on a brave face, you pack it up, you go about your day and, and you. You don't let anybody see you be sad or, or hurt. And I don't think she was doing that on purpose. I just think that's what she was taught.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think probably so many people listening right now, Amber, are nodding their heads because I think a lot of us learn that whether whether or not we have our British roots or not, which is sort of mm-hmm. that stiff upper lip kind of, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> quality about us. And as you said, I think so poignantly and beautifully, which is this isn't, this question isn't an invitation to sort of blame or judge our parents. It's really about revealing how much we do learn, even when things aren't spoken and your mom likely learned from her parents and so on. And so part of my goal in sort of opening up these conversations is to help us sort of see the cycle around how we are and aren't, quote unquote, supposed to grieve and how that helps us or hurts us and then gives give us all the tools to sort of make different choices so that we're creating safe spaces for people to to heal. So and I'm really grateful that you brought up divorce as being a kind of loss, because certainly we all know that death um Um, is our grief experience often that's how we talk about grief in this world but there's so many other kinds of losses divorce being one and as I think you might agree this time this collective time that we're in right now of course is producing a lot of grief and loss for folks
0: Absolutely. There's there's so, so many different types of, types of losses where they like you said, a loved one, a divorce, a job, a pet. I mean, there's there's just so many different types of grief and, and each person's grief is so personal and individual and nobody grieves the same, no matter what kind of loss.
1: Absolutely. And not only do we not grieve the same, and I'd love to explore that maybe a little bit later too about the different styles of grief, perhaps between you and your husband. But I think a thing to remember is that not only do we grieve different than others we might grieve each loss differently and to not necessarily hold ourselves accountable or stuck in one way of grieving or judge ourselves you know if if the way we're grieving over this loss looks different than the way we grieved over a previous loss does that make sense you know absolutely yes of course Yeah. yeah so I know you're here today to share with us sort of this experience that you and your husband and London and Lincoln faced with the loss of River. It was last June, I think. Yes, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, yes. so, we're you've just passed a year. Do you want to share a little bit about who River is? And his life too, but also what that experience was about losing him. And, and to whatever detail you want to share, I often say to folks, um, if I might just um, remind everybody that while my goal is for us to break open the silence and the isolation of talking authentically and openly about pain and hardship and grief and loss, I want us to get better at that so that we can bear witness to our own pain and bear witness to others. I also don't want to swing so far the other way that we're in this very reality TV voyeuristic culture too. So I invite each guest to share the level of detail they wanna share because again, I wanna empower all of us to be able to speak to what matters to us most.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So River River was our littlest, he is was our caboose. <laughs> uh we were we were finished we were finished having children after river and and he was such a happy happy toddler child baby he was such a bright light he had bright red hair um he was always into things always mischievous and always wanting to go faster or climb higher and loved adrenaline and he could drive these little tractors around, you know, a lot of kids drive their little trucks and they hit a wall and they don't know what to do. Well, River would just take turns like a NASCAR driver at two years old. I mean, he was just, he was just so full of life and and full of love and energy and always dancing. And, um, I was always worried about him, you know, ever since he was born, I don't know why I just always felt, I was always very concerned and and worried that he was going to get hurt. Or I even said on a lot of videos, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to be in the emergency room with you someday. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I really truly knew what that meant. Um, but last June, uh, June 4th, we all had just finished dinner and it was a normal, normal late spring evening. And, you know, a lot of times after dinner, the kids will go outside and play and we had French doors. We just leave the doors open and, My husband was outside with all of the children and I had actually had a rough day that day and I needed to go take a shower. I just needed a mom break.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So
0: I took River out of his high chair and, and let him go outside to play and, you know, no different than any other night. And my, um, my husband was doing gymnastics with our daughter, London, and the two little boys were playing water gun fights around in the backyard. And, um. My husband had his back to our pool. We have a pool. We have a, a four-sided, four-foot fence with a, a child lock. And some, some, sometime between 30 seconds, and we're guessing two minutes, um, my husband turns around. He just had this feeling of it being too quiet, turned around and saw our son in the pool. Um, I heard my daughter scream because uh, the doors were open. So I ran outside and I I came upon my husband doing CPR in River. Um, we don't know. There was no splash. There was no sound of the gate opening. Nobody outside saw anything. It just happened so, so fast. And it's one of those things that you think could never, ever happen to you yeah. until it does. And so um, we we had the ambulance come and... And, you know, we took turns doing CPR until the ambulance got there. And, and River spent two days in the hospital uh, until he just had... Um, we know now that the loss of oxygen, if you are if you don't get the heartbeat back in four minutes, you're pretty much completely brain dead. Yeah. So they could never... He never had brain function after that, even though they did get his heartbeat back. Uh, he never came back to us. So we had to say goodbye in the hospital a
1: couple days later. Mm. I want to just pause for a minute, Amber, and say how much I'm holding you and Granger and London and Lincoln and, of course, River in my heart. And what a beautiful recollection you shared by bringing us into the life of River, not just the loss of River. And I think we so often get caught in that other story of the loss which is important but I part of my mission is to help us all bring people's memory forward and I think everybody listening right now can picture River's fiery red hair and (laughs) practicing like a NASCAR driver even at the age of two and sort of the life and vitality there so just just want to pause and and just say thank you for trusting me and trusting us to hold this story for you. Thank you very much. much. And you know, something you said is this, we don't ever, we can't ever prepare for something like this. We can't ever think something like this will happen to us. And in fact, if we walked around in life doing that, we would make ourselves crazy. I mean, I think as moms, we all, as you, (laughs) I can relate, you know, as moms, you're always, your brain is always on all the time anyways, Mm -hmm. um, as far as looking out for danger, but in the, Speaking of that, is that, sort of in the wake of this unimaginable loss, you are coming home from the hospital to two children. How old were London and Lincoln at the time of Rivers passing last year?
0: London was seven and Lincoln was five. Okay. And they, they both saw everything out there you know so
1: yeah and so I know so many times people have asked my my husband passed when my daughter was seven and I very vividly remember and she didn't see the passing but she knew he was passing in the hospital she came to say goodbye he was in a coma but I know that I remember having to come home from the hospital and think to myself how am I going to explain this to a seven-year-old? How did you, given that they had sort of witnessed what happened, how did you and Granger first talk with London and Lincoln about this? What was going through your mind before you sort of opened your mouth? And how did you navigate that conversation? Can you even remember it? I mean, were you... Oh, my in- gosh. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, we... We decided in the hospital, they came to the hospital with us initially, obviously, because okay. we were all, we were all together, but, uh, they, um, we had some friends come and take them home and they stayed with them at home for two days and, and we didn't have them come back. Well, for one, we thought we were going to bring River home.
1: Right, right. of and, course. And,
0: and for two, we just didn't want them to see him the way that he was with all the tubes and wires and everything. And we wanted them to remember their brother at the last moment of him shooting water guns and smiling and laughing and yeah. Um, So we had those couple of days in the hospital to talk, and and we asked the nurses and the, the 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 help that was there. You know, how do we how do we tell our children that their brother is gone? And they very very vocally said, "You have to use the right words. You can't say he's in a better place or he's right. this." Even though even though we know he's in heaven, um, you have to go home and you have to say, "Your you know, River didn't get enough oxygen to his brain, and when you don't get enough oxygen." your little brother died and we had to say the word died. And that just yeah. seemed so final to me. And I was like, I can't say that,
1: Yeah. but, but
0: when we left the hospital, you know, we held each other's hands and looked, we were driving home with the empty car seat and we get home and I could tell, you know, they had drawn with chalk, big hearts on the driveway. Welcome home river. Like they just fully expected him to be coming home. And I think as soon as we got out of the car, Uh, we grabbed them and they said, where's River? And I could see it in my daughter's eyes. She's a little older. She could tell, like she knew what we were about to say. And um, Lincoln, he was only five. He didn't really quite understand, but we grabbed them and we took them back to the backyard and we sat in this bench uh, right in front of all the dirt and tractors where River used to always play. And we just held them and we said exactly what the nurses said. And we said, "Bubby, Bubby died. And you know we we he's in heaven and and we're not going to see him anymore and we were just very blunt <laughs> and yeah. um just very matter of fact and to the point point. and my daughter she immediately started crying and um my son just sat there with this blank stare for the longest time, and he's more um internal in his you yeah. know in his grief and he my daughter's a little bit more emotional, but
1: that's how we told him, yeah I I'm grateful for you that you had um, the support in the hospital because I know so many times people have shared stories, um, you know where where they didn't get that assistance. and of course, we're not thinking clearly when we go home. So I'm grateful that the nurses, we're clear with you. And I think it's such an important thing. People often ask that question like, well, how on earth can I tell a kid Mm -hmm. and we think we're doing them a favor when we sugarcoat it, you know, when we say they're not here, they're in a better place or whatever the stories are, but kids already, they get the truth. And if your words aren't matching the truth, it's very confusing. And also then they're expecting, you know, what about me or, or what can come next? So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, why can't, why can't I go to that better place? Why or, can't I know? go to that
1: better place? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even to call it a better place is yeah. So confusing yeah. for, well, yeah. for some of us adults, but definitely for kids too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you just brought up, Amber, was sort of the difference. I mean, of course we have age difference. So like kids aren't, understand things differently at different different developmental stages, but also talking about the difference between the way London and Lincoln sort of process that early information, you know, sort of that first conversation. And I talk often here about the different grieving styles. And I think for many of us, when we've had different people in our family grieving differently, I know this is even true for me, and I do this work, is that we either worry about ourselves or judge others when they're not grieving, quote unquote, or mourning, which is sort of the external act of grieving, in the same ways that we are. Did you come to see early on the differences differences within your family dynamic both your nuclear family you and Granger and the kids and your extended family in terms of how people were processing their grief and what did that look like for you all
0: absolutely we uh Granger is um he was very much kind of more internal as well I I grieve very openly and not not in front of people, but when I'm alone, I, I cry, I scream, I, I do all of those things. And I think he's just a lot more internal in his grief and, and handles it in his own way. And I remember in the very beginning, I had to look at pictures and videos. I had to see all of those, even though it made me sad, it made me still feel so close to him. And, and Granger could not look at a photo or a video or hear River's voice for the longest time. I mean, it just would break him. So... And kind of the same thing with our children, Lincoln, I don't, I don't think he cried up until about a year, about the year mark. Uh, We were Uh actually just, we were just coming home from, we call it his angel spot where he's buried and, and we passed it and we, you know, we, we said goodbye and he just lost it. And I think it was his first time in a year he actually broke down and let all of his emotions out, but he's only done that once. Since yeah. since River's passing, and my daughter's done it a couple times. Um, my both of our parents are are pretty emotional moms, <laughs> so obviously they they just cried a ton. And and our yeah. friends were very open with their grief and crying with us. And so everybody just handles it definitely in their own way. Yeah, yeah,
1: they do. And I think the other thing, you know, you were talking about the crying and the yelling. I think. Um, did you start to discover the other emotions of grief and did that surprise you? Like, did you, you know, I think we often think of grief as just sadness and sadness in the expression of crying, but sometimes there's, you know, anger and sorrow and resentment and, you know, there's sort of a, a much broader spectrum. Did you, did you were you surprised by any, any of the emotions that have come up for you over this past year or, or others or what have you learned about sort of the emotional range of grief for yourself?
0: just that it's definitely not linear. <laughs> I mean yeah. it's all so intertwined and and um, obviously you know you go through I think the the very first part it was obviously shock like yeah. not even believing it could even be possible like how is my child just so happy and vibrant and then gone. Yeah. You know it's just this this shock and this hole in your heart and and then comes the 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 waves of of, of just sadness, just sitting by his crib and holding his blanket and just, you know, screaming into the blanket and crying. And, and, um, I guess I was, I guess I was just shocked at how they could come out of nowhere. Yeah. Not so much, not so much the emotions themselves, but just how they come out of, you know, you could be having an, a quote, okay day and yeah. something just hits you out of nowhere and just takes you down this path of screaming or punching your steering wheel or bawling on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's so messy
1: yeah sneaky well that's that's the name of the show (laughs) yeah it's sneaky although not so sneaky once you know after you've sort of been on the path for a while you're listening to grief is a sneaky bitch I think so many of our listeners can relate to sort of everything that you're saying, whether it was a child loss or not. But one of the things I'm curious about for you all is you're also kind of public figures. You know, your husband is a country music star. You're in the public life. How did you sort of as a couple, as a family, make meaning about how much to share in the world, given, you know, again, the, the sort of public... Standing that you all have in the world, how much of that was healing? How much of that was hard? How did you navigate that in the kind of early days and months?
0: We had just started our YouTube channel called The Smiths uh, in March before before River passed away, and it was yeah. just we just decided as a family just to do something fun. We had a little family blog, vlog, so like Granger's fans could watch, kind of more of a in depth look at our look at our family. So we recorded all these videos, and then when this, when tragedy struck, you know. Granger, I remember we were coming home from the hospital and he deleted every single one. He was like, I'm taking everything down. We're not going to do this. I'm not going to be public. And then I, get, I think it was maybe the next day he put okay. them all back up and we had this talk and we just decided, you know what? We, we have a choice. We can either hide away and be in our grief alone and by ourselves and not talk about it ever, or we can use this and try to find meaning in it and try to be vulnerable and talk about our story and try to help other people through grief or try to help other people through water safety so that this doesn't happen to other families. And we just made that that choice that nothing was gonna break our family apart and we were just gonna kind of be an open book. and take the good with the bad. And, and you know, there was so much good, so many good comments and, and uplifting words, but there was also a lot of negativity being in the public, being in the public mm-hmm. eye and a lot of scrutiny and blame. And, you know, people were very, very unkind. And it was really hard to focus on all the good when you have such negativity being thrown your way as well.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that experience of of trying to take your pain, your loss and share share it with the world for their own healing and for your own healing and then to have the sort of that negativity in your way. And I think people have experienced that in their sort of personal family life too, depending on the type of loss. How did you combat that for yourselves? How how did you sort of um, move through any of the negativity or have you, what what have you learned over this last year about those judgmental comments or?
0: Um, I think, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> and Brene, Brene Brown talks about it a lot. And it's, if if we tried to focus on our immediate people in the arena with us, and they always say, you know, if you're not in the re- in the arena with me, you don't have a right, you know, yeah. to say your feelings about my situation. So we, even though we are public, we just, we decided we were going to focus on our family, the people that love us, the people that know us and know our hearts genuinely,
1: yeah. and
0: just ignore the hate, the hate in the world and, focus on love and focus on God and and just also kill them with kindness. Try to, try to be kind because obviously hurt people hurt people. And people were just saying hurtful things, obviously, because we don't know what they're going through in their own lives. So just trying to fight that with love was kind of how we handled
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like there's, because you do have young kids who are in the sort of public life, but also in the school life. Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so school life looks different now, but how have you thought about, or what has been the experience in terms of their friends and their peers, you know, knowing about what happened to River or not? How have you helped them navigate that sort of people knowing about their story or not? What, what has that looked like?
0: Luckily, we haven't gone through anything hurtful or, you know, they haven't come home from school crying, saying somebody okay. said something. So it's been actually very positive, which is great. And in our community after River Pass, their schools, our churches, everybody came together in such an unbelievably supportive way. I mean, I will never be able to to repay these people for how kind they were to our family. And it was just a loving community where we live. And so parents were, were just teaching their children to either be careful about asking about him or, or just always do it with love. And, and um, my children just have they haven't ever had to answer any really hard questions yet. And I know mm-hmm. as they, as they age that that might come. So we're kind of preparing for that, but currently it's just been a, a, a good situation.
1: Yeah. Real loving support yes. in the community. That's, that's really incredible. Yeah. You know, Amber, one of the things that I think Touches everybody's surprise. Maybe sometimes the sneakiness of grief is because we are in this culture that, you know, has top ten lists and that there's a solution for everything, and we believe everything is linear and is going to go in this upward trajectory. I think um, people who experience loss, like the loss you've faced, maybe go in with it thinking that it's going to get, you know, it's going to. Imp- I'm going to improve in this linear upward fashion over time and that it's not going to come in waves or that certain mile markers like the year means year two will be better than year one and year three or, you know, et cetera. Can you tell me a little bit as you're kind of beginning your journey into year two, both for you maybe and for Granger, what are you learning about your grief in year two that maybe surprised you or was different than what you might thought it was going to feel like when you kind of got to that mile marker and beyond?
0: I think we heard from so many people that year two was going to be, is even harder. And yeah. um, I just, and I remember Granger sitting me down and he said, he said, don't listen to these people. Our grief is our grief. He said, don't listen to what they say. Just because they say year, year two is harder doesn't mean it, to, it has to be harder. He, and he kept saying, I don't know how anything could be harder than year one. And, and I've kind of found that to be true for us. I feel like year one uh, was the hardest and um, like, but like, like your podcast is it's a sneaky bee. So it it could be, it could be coming, but the start of year two has seemed a little bit softer, which has been nice. I mean, I, I still get obviously those, those sneaky waves and and I still have days where I, I cry a lot of the days or I cry or I yell or I scream, but it's been softer. And I think, I think part of that has to do with therapy, you yeah. know, a lot of, most of it has to do with God, but therapy and also trying to find meaning, we, you know, starting a foundation for him and, and doing things in honor of him to keep his memory alive has made it a little bit easier to bear if that's, if you can even say that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's absolutely, um, that's been my experience. I mean, I just passed the nine year anniversary of my husband's loss, and mm-hmm. I still have crying days and yelling days and um, but I think one of the things that we have to give ourselves space for is just what you said of just more moments of softness and not judge. I think in some ways, the distance from time, I guess I would say some people feel like year two is harder because they're more distant from the memory, from the lived experiences with the person. And that's where it's sort of harder because you're sort of further away from, from that. Time is kind of a sneaky, complicated thing in grief. And I think so what you said so beautifully is there's more space and softness and we are in a better place to do the acts of meaning making and like you were you guys have channeled this into the foundation that you've created which I'd love to talk with you a little bit more. And we have a little more space to kind of carry the joyful memories forward in ways that maybe were too painful in year 1, you know, because it was too yeah. too recent and and too fresh.
0: I think a lot of people say year two is harder also because year one, you're still kind of in a shock Yes, <laughs> and year absolutely. year two, it finally, it finally sets in like, okay, this is real. This is our life now.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I want to just make a note of something you said at the beginning, which I'm going to reflect back on, which I think is so important is, you know, you said I'm a mother to three and two are here. And I think one of the sneaky or the hard things for us as we navigate life after loss, particularly after death loss is the shift in our sense of ourselves and our identity and sort of who we are, you know? And so to, to claim your parenthood to all three of your children and to make that choice for yourself and to say that in response to those questions, I think is so important. And it's up to each of us to make those decisions about how we want to carry the memory forward and to sort of carry our identity in ways that are meaningful to us. So I just wanted to kind of, reflect back and name that. I think it's profoundly important. And I know I've had other parents on the show who've talked about the sort of gut punch that is that question. Um, Yeah. You know, when, how many kids do you have? Have you had to face that? And how have you navigated that?
0: I have. And it, you know, I think it's different. Uh, Depends on the mood that you're in that day. And and if you feel, if you feel like, God places it on your heart to share with somebody that, that river's in heaven. It's just, sometimes that opens up a floodgate that you might not be ready to go through. Exactly. Um, But yeah, a lot of times I, if they ask me, I say, I have three and it actually happened the other day. Somebody asked me and my daughter was right there and I said three and she gave me this look and just kind of smiled. And, um, you know, we just, you do the best you can every day and, and, um, yeah, Yeah. you don't, you also don't want to like drop that bomb on them and, and say, well, I have two here and one, you know, one has passed away or one is in heaven and then they feel bad.
1: And then the awkward <laughs> they, crickets. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you brought up Brene, I think she's maybe the one who said it too. It's not everybody deserves to hear our story too. So I think there's always that sort of decision making that happens as you encounter each person, which is like, am I in the mood to hold the weight of the story? Do I want to, do I trust them to hold this story? you know, in this moment. And and we're always just kind of having to make those decisions on the fly, I think.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: You're listening to grief is a sneaky bitch with my guest, Amber Smith. I'm your host, Lisa Keefoffer. Tell me a little bit about carrying Rivers' memory forward, the meaning-making that you did, whether it's the foundation or I know, I think I read that you, you all made the decision to, to donate Rivers' organs too. So can you tell me a little bit about the, just the meaning-making um, journey that you've been on since Rivers' loss and what have you learned about that process for yourself, for Granger, for the kids?
0: Yes. Um, I, th- I guess, yeah, you're right. It started in the hospital. And um, whenever we we were told that there was zero chance of, of brain recovery for River, I don't know. I've always known that I wanted to be an organ donor. I just never would have ever imagined I would have had to make that decision for one of my children. Right, right. And um, I remember we were sitting on the bed, both of us, and they kind of had already told us the diagnosis. And and i said well what about organ donation and i remember granger just kind of his head turning so fast looking at me like what yeah. <laughs> i you know I, I just and i started crying and i just said if we can't have our son i i can't imagine burying him you know he's perfect he's perfect everything is working except for his little brain and i said if if we cannot get our miracle you know maybe we can be somebody else's mm. and 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 we were, and he ended up, you know, saving two other people's lives. And I guess that's where the meaning started for us that his little life, you know, his physical parts of him are still living on in this world and and he's he's saved lives, you know, even not being here anymore. And and so we left and, and we said we had to find meaning of this and that we couldn't just let this be a senseless tragedy or a, a a meaningless accident, like we decided we were not going to try to go through all the whys and the what ifs and the reasons, but we were going to find meaning and we were going to share his light and his love and his joy. And so we decided to create the River Kelly Fund to give back anywhere that we could in the community. And that could be children's hospitals, which is where we made our first huge donation um, because they just helped us so tremendously. And the nurses and the staff and doctors were incredible. And we've helped since then with citizens with disabilities and wildlife and drowning prevention, which is a big, a big mission of mine now. So each little day that I'm doing work in his honor is giving meaning to our loss.
1: Yeah. And so being, thank you for sharing that story with me. I think that's maybe how we first connected, which was through TOSA, the Texas Oregon Sharing Alliance, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. It yeah. Was. Um, so thank you for, for what you did and also for just sharing the journey that you all were on in terms of since the beginning, it sounds like really around making meaning. And, and I have had guests on my show um, who've, who've gone on to either be advocates like you're being in the water safety world, but also to create foundations to help others. How has that, how has that journey evolved for you? How are your, your kids involved or not in that how are you thinking of this as sort of a family affair, a family mission? And where do you see it going?
0: So far, it's it's kind of been mainly me. I don't okay. think, you know, obviously Granger and I grieve differently, and I don't think he's quite ready to step into all of the life-saving stuff, especially with drowning. That's just still hard for him to yeah. step step into, into that space. So, um, it's mainly been me. Our, our our kiddos know about it. You know, the, our catchphrase is kind of is live like Riv. So they know that we we try to help people. And anytime I make a donation, I'll I'll bring my kiddos over and say, look who we're helping today, and in honor of Bubby. But it's really it's really been mainly me. Um, I hope eventually we can all we can all step into the space. And I and I know that we will. It's still so fresh. Um, but the the part of giving to other people has been um, very easy. The, the stepping into the drowning prevention world has been obviously a little obviously a little more emotional yeah because, yeah because that's our story and that's how it happened and and it's it's so hard <laughs> to talk to other mothers and, and see other people who are going through what we've been through, but I feel like because we didn't know so much about drowning and how fast and silent it is and how it's the, the leading cause of death for one to four year olds accidental death, I feel like it's my mission to spread that word. And so joining forces with all of these other moms and dads who are going through the same thing has helped in my healing as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's really poignant. And, And to your point, it's like, you can't change what's happened to you, but if you can use your voice and to use your, um, time and money and energy to, um, doing two things that sounds like you're really doing through the work, which is one being sort of an understanding ear to those who have been where you've been, you know, mm-hmm. and I think for us to be, to bring ourselves out of isolation in our grief in that way is really profoundly healing and profoundly important. And also to sort of bring light to um, something that we don't talk about enough, which is, which are those risks. Yes, yeah, That we wouldn't ever imagine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about how you've come to hold moments of joy or laughter or light um, in this past year and a few months. And the reason I asked that question, the sort of context is I think there's so many shoulds or ideas we have about what grief needs to look like or should look like Um especially, I imagine, as parents, I even felt this as a spouse, um, about honoring them with our grief and that any moments of joy or laughter or lightness are somehow a betrayal. I I guess I'll use myself to say I remember the first time I laughed out loud a few months after, after my husband died. And I remember laughing and then immediately feeling just so hard on myself and sort of painful that I was somehow betraying my love for him or my memory of him I soon obviously unpacked that and learned that part of um, part of the meaning making of losing somebody is grasping at and appreciating the joy and delight and amazement that each day is and the gift of each day but how have you how have you handled moments of light or joy or laughter or amazement since losing river and how has that changed what have you learned from those moments
0: Oh, I know exactly how you feel because I still do that today. I, yeah. you know, yes, my children are—they're they're eight and six, so they're—they're they're so funny and they want to make us laugh, and 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 I do have such joyful moments with them or with friends or family. But you're right, in the middle of laughter you just stop and you're like, why are you laughing? You know, your, your son is gone or like you said, your spouse is gone. How, yeah. how dare you, how dare you laugh right now? And, and I've, I've also had to, to grow through that and realize that, you know, they would want us, they would want us to laugh. They wouldn't want us to be, yes, we're, we need to grieve. We need to mourn, but they wouldn't want us to be wallowing in self pity and not getting out of bed. And, and, and we, we still have life to live and we need to live for them. And, and that involves finding, joy in the small things and laughing with your kids and laughing at a movie or laughing at a joke. And, and it's just, that just takes time to work through and process. Like I said, I still have those moments even today where I'll, I'll kind of stop myself, but then I tell myself, no, you're, this is a good moment. This is joyful. You need to work through this and it's okay. It's okay to smile and laugh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, Grief is not linear. I would say over the trajectory of these last nine years, it's certainly I've I have less guilt and more appreciation for my moments of joy. Um, but so there is some linearness to that. You know, I think it yeah. does get easier over time. And in some ways, one of the things I've learned this distance out from my loss, from that first loss, I've had a few since, is um, I think I I am able to really be joyful and find amazement and delight in ways that I actually never did before losing my husband. And I was a pretty happy, glass half full, you know, kind of person my whole life. But I do think when we face loss and do the work of grief and, um, you know, whether that's through our own work or therapy or religious practice, however we sort of do the work of grief, I think one of the benefits. That's maybe a weird word, but one of the outcomes is an ability to sort of appreciate small moments and joy in ways that we didn't before. Do you, have you found that to be true for you?
0: Yes. And I, I I always say, you know, it, it's not that I didn't find, it's not that I didn't know what was important before, but when you go through a loss or, or a tragedy of some sort, it's crazy how that opens up your eyes so much more to what is important in the world. And, it's so many things are trivial, you know, and, and people don't know really until they go through something that kind of opens their eyes and it's not their fault. It's just people get so uptight and worried about little things and, and they just don't matter in the grand scheme of life, you know, your family and your friends and, and God and love and joy, and that's all that matters. And And I do find myself, you're extra joyful <laughs> over yeah. things that you might not have been before, but on the, on the flip side, you're also extra emotional <laughs> over things that might not have affected you that way before too. So it's, it's definitely a balance, but I feel my emotions a lot more strongly yeah. after going through what we've been through, whether that's joy or sadness.
1: And I think for so many of our listeners, they feel that too. And I think one of the things that this work that I do through the podcast and through my work at Reimagining Grief is inviting us all to be less afraid of those emotions to welcome them in i will say welcome them in as visitors over for a cup of coffee mm-hmm. not permanent house guests cuz they come <laughs> and they go yes right and i think that teaches us a sense of our own capacity our own i don't know resiliency maybe that word is a little overused but i think when we can when we can hold space for our emotions the joy and the heartache and watch them wash over us and heal us and teach us, we have a sense of ourselves, maybe our purpose, our capacity. I think we can come to see ourselves in a new life, a new light, I would say. Do you think you've learned something new about yourself that, that you didn't know before?
0: Yes, I think, it, I think that's what you said is so important. I think we, it's so important to allow ourselves to feel every emotion and it's okay whether that is extreme sadness or extreme joy it's we we can't bottle it all up inside because grief takes a toll on your body i mean it it really does your oh yeah your enti- you know your brain your heart your your physical activity it just takes a toll on your body and i think that you know one of the most important things is to let it out however that looks for you let yeah. your let yourself grieve and and i've i've learned now after going through what we've been through that I I can just be myself and let myself fall apart and be okay and know that I'm going to be okay. I'm I am made to do hard things and I as much as it hurts and as much as I might grieve hard one day, I'll wake up the next day and I'll get out of bed and I'll I'll fight and I'll I'll rise and then I may fall again, <laughs> but yeah. I know I know that I'm maybe stronger than I ever thought I could be. I know people always use that word you're so strong and <laughs> I don't know. That's weird to me. It's just, I feel like it's something you just have to do it's just know. something you do.
1: Yeah. I did used so. to resent that a lot when people would say, oh my gosh, you're so strong. I don't know how you're doing this. And I'm thinking yeah. like, I don't have a choice, people. I don't, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, don't compliment me for that. But I do get the, as much as it used to irk me and still does sometimes, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, it does also, it is an important reminder. And that is that what you're talking about is that when we are able to, Bear hard things, do hard things, feel hard things. We do remind ourselves that is an invitation to ourselves that we can. That doesn't mean we have to look strong all the time or put on appearances. That's I think that's the mistake is the sort of need to sort of put that out to the world. Right. Um, and I think it is an important reminder to us that we can fall apart and get back up and fall mm-hmm. apart and get back up. And we learn in each of those falling aparts and getting back up.
0: Absolutely. Yes, for sure.
1: If you've been moved by our conversation today or by any of the episodes of this show, I'd love to ask you a favor. After the show today, please head over to Apple Podcasts leave a rating, and write a review. Not only will it mean a lot to me and to my guests, it will help other folks find the show who also need to feel a little less alone in their grief. As we close our conversation today, I just would love to ask you to think about and reflect on if what you might say to parents who might be listening to this show today, or even siblings, frankly, because I think we often forget in conversations of grief, especially child loss about siblings, you know, Mm -hmm. and what they've experienced. But if you were having to have a conversation with a family who is much more fresh in the loss of their child, um, now that you're a year and a few months out, what what would you have liked to hear from somebody who was in your shoes? What might you want to share with them?
0: I think for the most part, just acknowledging the pain and acknowledging, you know, a lot of times we'll say, just sit in the suck. Yeah. Just, you just sit in the suck with them. And, and you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you know, God needed an angel or, or they're in a better place or all this and that. But in the beginning... You're not quite ready. Not quite ready to hear that yet. You know that yeah. that will come at a later time. But just be with them and acknowledge their pain and say, "This hurts," and it. I understand, and it is not fair. It is not right. But you will make it through this. You can do this. I'm so sorry for your pain. Just lean on each other and lean on the Lord if you're a believer, and and you can make it through this. And I promise. Somewhere down the road, you will learn, and you will grow, and you will transform, and hopefully come out stronger, better people, more compassionate than you ever have been before you're lost, um, yeah. and, that there, and that there is hope, and just just keep keep hoping, and just do the best you can, and give yourself grace, because there are going to be hard days, and there are going to be good days, and give yourself grace on the good days. When you have a good day, accept that, and and be grateful for that. And give yourself grace on the bad days and know that that's okay, too. And you're, you're going to have a new day tomorrow.
1: Amber, that's so beautifully put, what you said. I love that expression, sit in the suck. That is going in my <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> Um, list for grief quotes. Um but I think to your point, it's so true. I talk about that often is we have this weird way of thinking that we need to fix other people's grief. and of course, you can't fix it, and it doesn't need fixing. And mm-hmm. so in those early days when people are stumbling over themselves on what to say because they don't have the solution, my reminder is always you don't have to have a solution because there's no solution. You know, you do have to go sit in the suck with them. And really, that's the gift you can give somebody is, I'm here, this sucks. There's really? no, you know, right? There's no a, sugarcoating I mean, this. No,
0: literally just a hug. Don't even say, you don't even have to say anything. Just hold them and and just be with them in that moment. And you don't have to fix it because really you can't fix it.
1: Nope, <laughs> I mean, nope. it, is, exactly. it is what it is. You know? That's the burden you can take off yourself. It's like, check that off the list. You can't fix it. My grief yeah. advice, uh, support advice is always show up, shut up and listen and keep showing yeah. up. Yes. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, which is just kind of show up, hold space, bear witness, acknowledge and honor. Don't try to fix or change or bring people to, to a place of hope too early, you know, allow mm-hmm. them. And I love what you said about grace. I think that's the, mm, that word really resonated for me. Just reminding people to allow themselves the grace in the hard times and the joyful times and the grace for themselves to remember there is no one way. Cause I think some of the pain comes from, I should be fill in the blank. You know, right. and, doing and, something or feeling something, right?
0: Yeah. And the grace for your, you know, if you have a partner, the grace for your partner too, because they're not going to feel how you feel. They may be happy one day and you're, you're thinking, why, how are you smiling? Just yeah. have grace that they are going to feel different than you. And your kiddos are too. You know, yes. I, I remember in the beginning, they just seemed like nothing even happened. And I'm sitting there going, how, what? <laughs> how can yeah. you, but they're kids and they're just, you know, it's like they take the info and then they go play. You exactly. just have to understand their little minds can't really comprehend something. So, you know, you have to give them their little hearts grace too.
1: Yeah, grace for ourselves and grace for others, I think is really, um, that's the recipe, I think, for especially those early times of grief. But I would say probably just a good recipe for our lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Amber, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with me on Grief as a Sneaky Bitch, for sharing River's life and memory with us, for sharing your entire family's journey um, with us today. We just so appreciate you um, being vulnerable and open and authentic, and I'm grateful to, to know you and have you in my life.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to share and for, for talking with me today. I
1: appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Amber today. Her wisdom, warmth, and kindness really touched my heart, and I hope it did yours too. Today was another reminder about how absolutely honored I am that people trust me to hold space for their stories, both on this show and in my work as a one-on-one grief guide at Reimagining Grief. If you or someone you know could use some guidance along their grief journey, Visit reimagininggrief.com to learn more or find the link in the show notes. Oh, I just have to share one more thing. The mission statement of the River Kelly Fund. To illuminate love and joy in this moment. Isn't that beautiful? I feel like I can see River's fiery red hair and his big smile when I say those words out loud. Visit riverkellyfund.org to learn more or find the link in the show notes for today's episode. Special thanks to Giles Smith of Alafia Sounds for creating the music for today's show. You've been listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. I'm your host, Lisa Keefoffer. Until next time... I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.